Our scripture reading tonight comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. I'd invite you to stand with me this time out of honor for the reading of God's word and remain standing for prayer. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 2, we read these words. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as we come now to your word, that, Lord, you would incline our hearts to it, that you would open our eyes, that we might behold wondrous things from your law, that you would unite our heart, hearts, Lord, that often are divided, Unite them, Lord, to revere, to fear you. And Lord, most of all, satisfy us with your steadfast love as it's revealed to us from the scriptures tonight and in this passage particularly. This we pray and ask you for in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you be seated, please? Well, it's hard to believe, but it is Christmas again. I have always loved the Christmas season. As a kid growing up, Christmas was always something our family looked forward to and anticipated. We would typically decorate together. We would eat meals together. We would celebrate together. The operative word I hope you heard there was the word together. But things have changed. We still celebrate Jesus' birth in our family, but nowadays there are people who are missing. A few years ago, I lost my father. He's no longer around the table. He won't be there tonight. To be very honest with you, I, I miss him. He was a good friend. He was a confidant. He was, he was my dad. 
Many of you know what it's like to say goodbye to someone. Here in this, this congregation in the past year, we've found, our saying, found ourselves saying goodbye to people that we've loved and that we've cherished. We found ourselves receiving news, diagnoses, if you will, that we never saw coming. We've experienced our own brokenness and that of others. If we could just be perfectly honest tonight, we live in a world that is oftentimes a very dark and cold and uninviting place. And I'm sure that if you're here this evening and you look back on the year while there's a lot to rejoice over, you can also remember times when things were just hard. The people that the prophet Isaiah is speaking to here could identify with that. In 734 BC, Assyria would invade the northern kingdom and begin conquering cities in Israel. And as a result of that, many people would be deported to Assyria. This deportation would leave the people confused and struggling. In the words of Isaiah, their lives would be characterized by gloom and anguish and contempt. And if you could talk with one of them, they would probably tell you that they had begun to wonder if God had in fact abandoned them. Maybe you're here tonight and you've just had a year where you've wondered the same thing. Where in the world has God been in my life in the last year? It's into this context that God sends the prophet Isaiah to remind them and to remind us that out of the gloom, he's going to bring glory. And out of the darkness, he's going to bring light. And out of sorrow, he'll bring joy. How does God do that? That brings us to our text this evening. Tonight I'd like to look for just a few moments, and I promise to be brief, at one verse from the passage that I just read, and that's verse 6. Let me read it again. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. This is a very familiar text, one that's read and studied often at Christmas time. It's the one that we would do well to spend time with this evening. Just what is it that our Lord shows Isaiah that he wants these people and he wants you and I to hear and see and believe? What is it? This child to be born 
this one upon the government shall rest. This Jesus is described in four marvelous ways as a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting Father, and a Prince of Peace. As a wonderful counselor, Jesus is wise. As a mighty God, Jesus is strong. As an everlasting Father, Jesus is caring. And as the Prince of Peace, Jesus is capable and eager to restore our relationship with the Father and with one another. Let's look at these briefly tonight. First, Jesus is a wonderful counselor. Here were these people who were stumbling around with very little guidance. And Isaiah points them to the one in whom all the treasures of wisdom and, and knowledge are found. In chapter 28 of Isaiah and in verse 29, he says this, God is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. The Hebrew word that is used here for wonderful is here used exclusively in Scripture as, the, as, as things that only God can do that only he can pull off. The psalmist captured this so well when he wrote, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. The Apostle Paul wrote these words in Romans 11, verses 33 and 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? <laughs> now the problem for us, if we're honest, is when darkness comes our way and difficulties do arise, we employ all sorts of coping mechanisms to get through them, don't we? I do. We come up against something. And so we just decide we're going to push through it. People ask us, are you okay? Being good Southerners, we just smile and lie and say, yeah, I'm great. Or we come up against something or encounter some dilemma and something that just overwhelms us and we hide. We cut ourselves off from the means of grace. Or we bump up against something difficult, some hardship in our lives, and we, we attack our problems with our own wisdom. We just go with what we feel in our heads and hearts is right. Maybe you don't do that, but, but I do, and did it a lot this year. And quite frankly, it wore me out. 
I think if you're honest, it does the same thing for you. What Isaiah wants us to see here is that with Jesus, we have a wonderful counselor. With Jesus, we have the wisdom of God. He is an advisor, a teacher, a friend, a confidant. He is a savior. He is the one who said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Rest of body. Rest of mind and rest in our soul. Dear friends, you need to know that Jesus is a wonderful counselor and he just loves for us to come to him and receive counsel that only he can provide us with. But not only is Jesus a wonderful counselor, Jesus is a mighty God. The Hebrew says that he is El Gabor, the strong one, the mighty warrior, come to save his people. Some say that this even describes him as a hero. And I think that's true because Isaiah illustrates that heroism in this passage when he takes us back to a place called Midian. And if you know your Bible, you know that that, that was where Gideon did his thing. <laughs> or maybe I should say God did. It was there that Gideon came up against the Midianites. And you know the story, but Gideon had 20,000 soldiers with him. So the Lord comes to Gideon and he says, the people are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand lest you boast over me saying my own hand has saved me and so what happens god tells gideon to cut the number of his soldiers down to ten thousand but that was still too many eventually he has them cut it down to to 300 with which gideon defeats the midianites now what's the point of that story and even more importantly, why is Isaiah bringing it up here? The point is that God saves his people through the weakness and frailty of Jesus. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Oh, how Wesley got it so right in the hymn, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, when he said, He, that's Jesus, breaks the power of reigning sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Jesus is powerful enough to set us free from our sin and our shame. Nothing is too hard. Nothing is too difficult for Jesus. You say, well, you don't know me. I don't need to know you. I don't 
need to know the depth of your depravity. If it's anything like mine, it's deep. But you need to know this. Nothing is too hard for Jesus. Nothing's too difficult for him. He can radically change your life. You see, he's powerful. He's powerful enough even for you and for me. So Jesus is a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. But he's also an everlasting father. Now granted, this is probably the most surprising one, that Jesus, the Son of God, is called the Father. But hear what Isaiah says in chapter 53, verse 10. He writes, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. That's Jesus. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. When Jesus dies for sinners and births a family, in a sense, Jesus becomes a a father or father-like to his newborns. Listen to what he says in John 14, verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Isn't that wonderful? That Jesus is not only a wonderful counselor and mighty God who can change us, but he is an everlasting father. He is fatherlike toward us. And please don't overlook the fact that he is an everlasting father. Everlasting. In 2015, I was standing right back there in the narthex when I got the call that my father had died. He was gone. you need to understand that Jesus is everlasting. He's never gone. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never give up. He will be with you, around you, underneath you, and available to you. Finally, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. What does that mean? Most of the time, we think of peace as the absence of conflict. Or maybe the absence of just pure craziness. Later on this evening, we're going to gather with our kids and their spouses and their six kids, our grandchildren. Seven, really, because one's in the womb. And I can tell you, it's, it's going to be crazy. It's just going to be wild. They're going to be bouncing off the walls and on top of me and off of Phyllis and everywhere. And it's going to be crazy. And you know what? We'll love every minute of it. But I can tell you this. When we get home and we flop on a chair and drag ourselves to bed, and for those of you who are grandparents, you'll understand this, we'll say something like, finally, a little peace. 
That's the way we usually think about peace, as an absence of craziness. And yet, the peace described in Scripture is so much richer. Oh, it's so much richer. Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Peace so often in the Bible is linked with righteousness and joy. And that is why the Apostle Paul could say in Romans 5, 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, to know, brothers and sisters, because of Jesus, our sins have been forgiven, that we have been adopted into his family, a family that we had no business being in, and yet he adopts us into his family, and that our status before God the Father is that we have been accepted in the Beloved. Oh, that's wonderful news. In conclusion, let me just tell you a story that I believe summarizes what we've been looking at from this text tonight. This past spring, our men had a men's retreat where about 80 of us gathered around the Lord's table on Sunday morning. Uh, Scotty Smith, a pastor in our denomination, was presiding on this particular morning. And when he picked up the loaf of bread, he noticed that it was a big loaf. And it was. It was huge. Not that big, but it was huge. And he looked at the loaf and he said, now that is a substantive loaf of bread. He then paused and he said this, and I'll never forget it. A substantive loaf that points to a substantive Savior. Sunday morning, Reed challenged me to go from a four-point to a three-point to a one-point sermon. Here's the main point. Jesus Christ, our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace, He's a substantive Savior. He's everything that you need. He's everything that I need. He's everything that we need. Isaiah says, his name shall be called. Which begs the question, who will call him these things? Can you? Is he your wonderful Savior, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace? If not, will you call him that? What a wonderful thing it is to have Jesus as our great Savior. Our Father and our God, we give you thanks for this reminder from your word 
of the one whom you sent so long ago, a child and a son who is wonderful in counsel, mighty, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. O oh Lord, grant unto us the joy and blessing of knowing you, Christ. May we marinate even tonight in the great gift we have in your Son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.